Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. We have a little something different today. Uh, while we transition the stage, we have some something fun for you to do. Okay, we'll pretend it's fun. Okay, three riddles. Talk amongst yourselves. Sit there. Think on it. If you're at home, look at these three riddles and see if you can figure out the answer. Don't Google it if you're at home or on your phones. Um, you can put it in the YouTube chat if you're watching live. Just anything. Just chat with somebody. Walk around. Meet someone new. And as you're meeting someone new... See if you can figure out the riddle together, okay? I promise it will connect later. Okay, how many of you guys like riddles out there? Anyone? Okay, so the first one, I want to hear some answers. Before Mount Everest was discovered, which was the highest mountain in the world? Okay, Mount Everest. We just hadn't discovered it yet. Okay, how do you make the number one disappear? Add a G, because then it's gone. I didn't know that one. That was new to me. Uh, This one was new to me too. What two words in combination hold the most letters? What did you say? Post office. Sam, a former employee of the post office, of course got that one. I'm so glad you're here and got that answer. And we currently have Evan working at the post office too. We got some people. All right. The difference. Do you know the difference between a joke and a riddle? I had to kind of look it up because you kind of hear them um, interchangeably, but joke, trying to get people to laugh, whereas a riddle, you're really trying to challenge people to think differently, right? And sometimes you're trying to mislead people. You're trying to trick their brain. And so today we are going to talk about riddles because it seems like there's some riddles going on in Jesus's life. We mentioned it before in our journey of the redeemed back when we were reading the beginning of the chapter that we're going to be in today, or sorry, we were reading verses from the end of it, and Jesus tells a riddle, but today he's going to receive a couple of riddles. Now, during that time, I mentioned to you guys that I do like, of all, I'm not a huge Batman person, but of all the villains, I do like the Riddler, and I do like Die Hard with a Vengeance, because besides Samuel L. Jackson, the two of them are having to figure out riddles the whole time, to defeat the villain before he blows things up. I did not mention that also Sherlock, the BBC version, in the end of season one, he ends up having to do like puzzles or I would say riddles to try to figure out the crimes that happen before Moriarty will kill a person. And then Psych, which does a parody of all kinds of things. They actually do a very serious episode where they follow the same Sherlock idea where you have to figure out the crimes so the person kidnapped doesn't get killed. Apparently, I have a theme. I like to figure out riddles before death. I don't know. I didn't really notice that until I listed all of these up here, but apparently that gets my attention. But today, today, no one will be harmed in the making of these scriptures. However, someone does want to kill Jesus, so we've got the theme still going on. Before we get to Luke chapter 20, we are going to do a little recap, because I don't know 
if you are like me. But I read a bunch of names in the Bible, and sometimes my brain starts swimming with the different titles and groups of people. Because if you recall, there's all kinds of people that engage in conversation with Jesus and debate, right, and challenge him. And they've got these different names, and they're different circles of people. They're kind of, they mill around and like-minded Jewish people, but they all kind of believe and do different things. So I'm going to call them spiritual influencers, and we're going to look at three circles to just define them today, because two of them we'll talk about today. One of them we talked about last week. Last week in Luke 17, if you recall, the people that asked Jesus, where and when is the kingdom of God? And we said he answered, it's within your grasp. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they're typically not, they're not in like, ministry isn't their job, like a priest or a Levite or anything, but they are experts in God's law. The whole group of them are very focused on looking in the Old Testament and following God's law like exactly, but to make sure that they don't break God's law at all. Then they added on extra traditions, like to prevent yourself from breaking the Sabbath, you need to do X, Y, and Z. But all their traditions added on to scripture ended up becoming just as important to them as scripture. So we're going to find out another one of the groups doesn't really love that. So they've got the law and their traditions, and they've got probably the biggest amount of followers in these groups. And we hear about them the most in the book of Luke as engaging with Jesus. They're the ones that like to be greeted in the marketplace and have the flowing robes. But Jesus was trying to say, look, Here's how we can live out God's law, and it might look different than your traditions. And also, they wanted Israel to be very separate, and Jesus was like, Israel's supposed to be a light unto the world. Okay, so that's the Pharisees. Fun fact, some of them did become followers of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we meet Saul, who became Paul. He was a Pharisee. Circle number two. We have the Sadducees. Now, this is a smaller group. We're going to hear about them today, and it's the only time in the book of Luke that we really hear a lot about them. This group is the aristocracy, the 1%. The people who follow them are the elite, the rich. And their faith is focused specifically on the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they are like letter of the law, nothing added. They don't care about the Pharisees' traditions, don't want to deal with that. They're like, what's written here? That's what we're doing. That's the Sadducees. Another big thing that set them apart, and they seem to be looking in the, there's some history recorded by the author Josephus. And looking through there, it seems to be that the Sadducees were kind of the main people who actually believed this. But they didn't believe in the resurrection, that set them apart because it seems to be all the other Jewish people in the time, all the groups seem to all say, yes, resurrection. God is going to resurrect us someday in some form. And Sadducees are like, none of that. Fun fact, Steve, my husband, back with the kids, he said when he was a kid, they taught him to learn the Pharisees and the Sadducees was that the, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they're sad, you see? Okay, there, there you go. Here, kids, kids version today, that helps me. Seriously, it helps me. Okay, third circle. We're going to also talk about this group of people today. Chief priests, elders, teachers of the law, sometimes scribes are thrown in there. This circle is kind of the most interesting. They're the most kind of 
flowing around. You have Pharisees, Sadducees, well-defined. This group is kind of in and out. The chief priests would be the ones who are their advisors to the high priest, or they are in charge of all the priests in the region. And they're also, the scribes would be assisting the priests. And then the teachers and the elders, they just, they're called this, but they really don't have an official role. They're not priests, but they're influencers. That's why I keep calling them, calling these people spiritual influencers today, because they also deal with like the civic responsibilities. What's interesting about this group is that the Romans, they're in charge, right? They're overseeing. All the Jewish people are part of the Roman empire at this point, but they don't like the dirty work, the day-to-day. That's a lot of work. So they let the local groups be in charge of the local things. So when Pilate, who we talk about at Good Friday, Easter, when Pilate needs to check in on this region, he would come to this group, the chief priests and the teachers, because their role is kind of like to make sure things happen. They're looking around at their fellow Jewish people and they're like, okay, it's Roman law. We don't love it, but we got to keep in line with it, right? They are kind of the guardians, the go-betweens, and just making sure that no one, no one causes problems, okay? Fun fact, these guys actually want Jesus dead because Jesus is saying things. He's saying things that are not, oh, okay, they're different. And what if he says a thing and people revolt against Rome? So they're very, he makes them very nervous. So the best way they think to get rid of him, get him out of the picture. But they have to be creative about it. And that leads us to our opening scriptures today. I'm going to be reading today from the New Testament for everyone version. I'm going to start in verse 1 because we need to get the setting of our situation here today. Because we need to know who we're talking about. So verse 1 of Luke chapter 20 says, One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts, proclaiming the good news, the chief priest, teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Now, we're not going to read their current conversation. We're going to jump ahead. But we just need to know that it's that third circle we talked about. And it's in the temple. That's important for what we're going to read next. Jump down to verse 20. And we see the first word say, so the authorities. That's who we're talking about. That circle of chief priests, teachers, and elders. Those authorities watched Jesus. They just watched him. Kind of holding back, kind of spying on him. Then they sent people to lie in wait for Jesus. So they sent their own spies out. The spies pretended to be upright folk, but were trying to trap Jesus in something he said so that they could hand him over to the rule and authority of the governor. Okay, again, right? They don't want Jesus around. They're afraid of the trouble he caused. So they think the best option is let's try to trap him somehow and see if we can get him to say something bad about Rome. Then Rome will arrest him and we can just be done with them. And it wasn't our fault. Make sense? See the plan. See the sneaky plan. Okay. Try to imagine how fake sounding these people are when we read the next verses. Because these are pretenders. So they asked Jesus this question. This is our first riddle. Teacher, we know you speak and teach with integrity. You are completely impartial. You teach God's way and God's truth. So, is it right for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Jesus knew they were playing a trick. So here's the irony. They're being fake. They're lying. 
They don't believe what they say, but the words they say are actually true. Like, yeah, Jesus teaches God's truth. He's impartial. So the words that they use are actually true. But they've created a riddle to trip Jesus up, trick him. But Jesus knows it's a trap. Jesus is too smart for them. He sees through them, and so let's see his response. Jesus said to them, Show me a tribute coin. In other versions, it would be a denarius. This image and this inscription, who do they belong to? Caesar, the people said. Okay, that's interesting, but let's dig into what's going on here because the tribute means this is the tax. Rome, of course, needs money to fund all the things they're doing, and of course, they're going to tax the people that they oversee. So the question is, do we pay it or not? There were two beliefs in the community right now. In the Jewish community, we had the chief priests and the teachers who sent the spies, and they really, they don't want to pay the tax, but it's just easier to deal with it because they're trying to, if anybody revolts, it's on their head. So they're like, just pay the tax, let's just move on, and then Rome leaves us alone. Like, the more we follow Rome, then the less they look at us, right? That's their theory. So if Jesus speaks up and says he's anti-tax, then they could say, okay, good, he's talking about Rome, Rome will take him away. On the other hand, there's a group of people who were like, no, we are the people of God, we don't need to be charged Roman tax, we're our own people, why are we paying them anyway? Now, if Jesus speaks up and says, you know, oh, we should pay the tax to Rome, then these chief priests and elders and leaders are like, great, now none of the people will like Jesus anymore. And again, they can isolate Jesus and run him out of town, I think. So either way, they feel like they can win here. The tribute coin that Jesus references, if you want to put it up on the screen, is likely the silver denarius. And this is an archaeological find. And you see that there's an image on it. And now we're used to images on our coins. But Caesar himself was like, put my face on there. And also put this inscription. This says, Tiberius Caesar, the divine Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So with every word, Caesar is calling himself a god. And so every time you would pay tax, you're honoring him with his image and with the words that he's a god. What the Jewish people, when they would go pay their offerings to God at the temple to keep the worship and, and, and honoring God to keep that going on, they would not use these coins because they had Caesar's face on them. And we hear the word shekel. We've talked about like, I think a couple of shekels equals a denarius. There's a denarius equals one day's wage, but there's like, they pay a half shekel tax to the temple every year. But they wouldn't use these coins because they wouldn't want to bring that into the temple. In fact, some of them, even if they use these coins on a, to pay their Roman tax, they may not carry them in their pockets into the temple because they did not want to dishonor the Lord their God. Those Ten Commandments. They wouldn't want to put an image before God. So, where is this conversation taking place? They're at the temple. And Jesus is like, hey, show me one of your coins. What are they admitting right there? They're admitting that they're not the holiest person if they're carrying into the temple, they have carried Caesar's image. So it's already like, a, oh, got you once. Okay. So now let's keep seeing what he says. <laughs> oh, I was going to take a riddle break because there's a lot of history here. And I, I keep thinking of a riddle that you've probably heard before. 
So it's about coins. If you have two coins in your pocket that adds up to 30 cents and one of them is not a quarter, which two coins do you have? Garrett says a quarter and a nickel. That's right, because one of them is not a quarter. Okay, that was my little mental break. See, I keep thinking of all these things as I'm working during the week, and so you get to hear my train of thought today. That's a bonus for you. Let's see what Jesus says after they reply that Caesar's face is on the coin. Verse 25, Jesus replied, well then, you'd better give to Caesar back what belongs to him and give God back what belongs to him. They couldn't catch him in anything he said in front of the people. They were amazed at his answer and had nothing more to say. So why is this like a mic, mic drop moment for Jesus? Well, what did they ask Jesus? What they asked Jesus was, should we pay taxes to Rome? But what Jesus knew they needed to hear was, how are you giving to God? They're very worried about how much money will go out of their pockets and into someone else's. But Jesus was like, we've already talked. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about what you should be doing with your resources. So check yourself first and see How are you doing? What are you doing with what you already have? What are you doing with all those coins that don't have Caesar's face on it? And throughout the book of Luke, think about how many times we have heard Jesus give advice, give guidance, give God's way of handling our money. He says, be generous to the poor, sell your possessions and give to the poor. When you give a banquet, invite the poor. He said, told the rich ruler to sell everything and give it to the poor. When Zacchaeus changed his life around, he said, I'll give half my things to the poor. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's also, he's told them all these things. And they're worried about honoring a pagan government. And Jesus is like, let's just check back in with God. How, start there. Because none of us is perfect in doing that. So Jesus is like, just worry about you right now. Give back to God what belongs to him. Perhaps he wanted to go beyond their resources, and maybe there was a deeper thought too. How were these spiritual leaders leading? How were these civic leaders leading? They were very concerned about rules and laws. Had they given themselves back to God? It's just a check. Give back to God what belongs to him. Jesus is like, you're representing God. How are you doing there? Okay, we've got another riddle. Verse 27, we've got a new group. We've got another circle of people. These are the Sadducees. Verse 27 says, some of the Sadducees came to Jesus to put their question. It's like they're taking turns. Like, all right, you failed our turn. We'll try. The Sadducees deny that there is any resurrection. So that gives us... I like the parenthetical explanation because what they're getting ready to do is give Jesus a riddle that they think is going to support their belief that there is no resurrection. So that's their goal. And they're not really worried about trapping Jesus and worried about arresting him. They're just trying to be like, we're right. We're smarter than you. We're the best, you know? So that's, that's the whole point of this conversation. Remember, they're sad, you see. So we're going to keep in mind that, oh, and that in this time, 
there was different versions of like what resurrection would be like for what we think about and we imagine. The Jewish people at the time were thinking like there will be a time when God would bring bodies back to life and it might look different. And we're not really sure how the resurrection will look exactly. But they're like definitely God will bring life again beyond this earth and that he will set the world right. That was their hope. And that's what the Sadducees didn't have. They didn't have that hope. So verse 28, here's the riddle they came up with. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children, that the man should marry the widow and raise up a family for his brother. So there were seven brothers. The eldest brother married a wife and died without children. The second and the third then married her, but each, and then each of the seven, and they all died without children. Finally, the woman herself dies. So in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? The seven all had married her. So this riddle is based on Leverite marriage, which we talked about when we read through the book of Ruth last year. So that this was a way to honor someone. That someone passed away and the next relative, a brother usually, would try to honor his brother, have a child in his brother's name to keep his memory alive and his line of family keep going. The Sadducees chose this riddle because they're thinking, well, why do we have to worry about this guy's honor in life? If you say there's a resurrection, why does it matter now? Now, this riddle is because they were trying to look at the scripture, but then they use scripture, right? They're like, this is what we believe in. This is what it says. Now, before we have Jesus' response, let's have another riddle break. Because every time I kept reading this about the seven husbands, has anyone heard about the, the, the St. Ives one? It's an old, it was published in Edinburgh, Scotland, in August 4th, 1779. As I was going to St. Ives upon the road, I met seven wives. Every wife had seven sacks. Every sack had seven cats. Every cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? How many were going Just I. I was going. Just one. So this little rhyme, I don't know. I guess I learned it as a kid. But every time I heard the sevens and the sevens and the sevens, this made me think of that. So all the math leads to nothing. Now back to Jesus' response. So how does he deal with one wife, seven husbands? What's his math? And Jesus says this in verse 34. The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy of a place in the age to come and of the resurrection of the dead, they don't marry. They are not given in marriage. And this is because they can no longer die. They are the equivalent of angels, and they are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. So Jesus was trying to give a new perspective. He says that, yes, there is a resurrection, but it's not going to look like the way that they thought. And that people weren't going to interact the way that they would in life. And so from here, if we look at the way Jesus died and rose again, maybe it gives us a clue about, you know, new and improved bodies, a brand new model. Because Jesus, remember, on Easter, and he was eating fish because he was trying to prove he wasn't a ghost, like he was a physical body. But then he still, like, appeared and disappeared, like, really like this. So he's in a body, but it's doing something new. People didn't always recognize him. So 
that gives us a clue to some resurrection. Like it still might look like a body, but different. But Jesus continued. When it comes to the dead being raised, Moses too declares it. In the passage about the burning bush, when the scripture describes the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, God is God, not of the dead, but of the living, because they are all alive to him. That was well said, teacher, commented some of the scribes, since they no longer dared ask him anything. So Jesus was trying, they were like, look here, the scripture says this, but Jesus used the very scripture that they read and they memorized and that they followed and loved and said, look, God's talking. He's talking to people. This indicates a resurrection, a living people. So why is this a mic drop moment? It's because they asked Jesus a trick, trick question, trying to prove themselves right. They just needed to be reminded of what they actually said they believed. Jesus is like, you're reading the same words that I am. And you believe it. So look at what it's saying. And I think that God, as he's saying, he's bringing about the truth of resurrection. There's a hope there, right? Maybe Jesus saw that they didn't have a lot of hope in their eyes to live for this life alone. And if they were spiritual influencers, perhaps Jesus wanted them to be giving that hope to other people. He said, those who are counted as worthy, God's children in the resurrection. And I think Jesus was trying to resurrect some faith and some hope. Even in these, these guys that seemed like they knew everything, they had the knowledge. He's trying to shift their perspective. So looking at all these different circles of influencers, all the different Jewish culture we talked about today, what do we take from it? Riddles and fun aside, I think a lot of us are asking very hard questions right now. If just life, what has it given us here in 2022? There's a lot of things that have, that have hurt and harmed in our past. There's a lot of people who have broken our hearts. And I think we ask questions, and we're not trying to trick Jesus. We just really want to know the answer. Like, how do we live now? What are we supposed to do? Are you real? Do we have hope? So I think this is just a reminder to say, let's, let's look back at what we believe. Let's, let's, it's nice to read through, to see if we believe in Jesus, to read through what he said and did and be like, oh, sometimes it's just a nice reminder of who he was and what he taught us about God and what we can hold on to. And I think that we can pray and we can know that the answer might be different than what we expect. We can ask a question and Jesus might respond with something we need to hear. Maybe it's different than the question we asked, just like he did today. But I think it's important to keep seeking and praying. And we can do that as a community. We can pray together to be like, are you... Are you sensing what I'm sensing? Are you, how can we do this together? Let's ask Jesus as a community, as a circle of faith here. But I think the riddle we can ask ourselves today is, what do we need to give back to God that is God's? And maybe it's those resources 
Maybe it's our coins, but maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our willingness to care for others. Maybe we need to give back to God our dreams and our goals and say, what looks best to you? What's the best way to use the things you put in me? Maybe we give back to God our privileges because we need to sacrifice for someone else. Maybe we need to give back to God getting credit because it's nice to feel noticed, but it's not the most important. Maybe we need to give back to God our comfort because following Jesus isn't always comfortable. <laughs> I wrote those words down and I yeah, thought it sounded nice. But I did not. I hate when I write down the words and I'm supposed to say the words. And then Jesus is like, hey, guess what? You get to live out the words this week. You're going to write them down? You're going to do it? Guys, like most of my life since I've become a minister has been uncomfortable. Fun fact. It never feels exactly right. Like there's always questions. There's a lot of tension. I don't always feel adequate. But I think that's what I signed up for. I think I signed up to live and follow a Jesus and it's not always comfortable. It doesn't mean it's not the right thing. So all of these, all of these people, I look again and I watch the way Jesus interacts with people. And in so many previous scriptures, we've, it's just so, it's so great to see him care for the vulnerable. It's even great when he's just like, I'm going to give you a riddle back at you. I'm just going to throw it back in your face to the leaders who weren't acting right. But I just keep looking today and realize, like, Jesus didn't walk away. Like, the one circle of people were trying to kill him. And he still responded to their question. He still gave them the time of day. And he still spoke the truth to them. And I don't believe that he did it just to show them up. I believe he did it with hope that they would actually listen. And I think that, I think it just is a, is a showcase of what we read in 2 Corinthians about what Jesus' ministry actually was. You know, when he was giving back to God, what is God's? He gave us back. We're created in God's image. We're worthy of resurrection. And Jesus went to the cross in order to give us back. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And we see people debating Jesus, and we're like, well, let's, we kind of label them, even subconsciously, the enemy, right? That's, they're against, it must be the enemy. But Jesus still, he still wanted to save them. And so... As we approach life, there's times where we're in conflict and we look at people and we think, you believe in the same God that I believe, and yet we're living differently. And that's difficult. And we can speak the truth. We can speak what, about Jesus, but we can do so with hope. 
And maybe, you ha- maybe we have to put up space <laughs> and hope from a distance. But I want us to react to even people who think differently with hope, like still see in them the image of God and still believe that they are worth resurrecting and pray that God reconciles them to himself too. Because I think there's a difference and I think it's shown. I think if we think that in our lives, we live it out and we speak and we act differently. And I think there's life in our words rather than just hate. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, it continues. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we get to share that message. If we believe, this is a good reminder of what we're believing in. We believe in Jesus and he's a reconciler and we're called to that. How can we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? We give back to God what is God's. We give back ourselves. We might give back our enemies. We might give up our fears and give out our love. But we get this promise. We get the promise that our sins are not counted against us through Jesus. We're told that Jesus was sent to reconcile us. That's why, that's what we're trying to remember every week. When we walk down and we take a piece of bread and we drink juice, and we we try to remember that Jesus was reconciling us, that we get to build again, that we have a new day, that we start again fresh, that the things we've done are not counted against us, and let's hope for that for others. We are going to close in communion. And I just, just pray that we take in these words, that we see the way Jesus lived. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come forward. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for engaging in conversation, whether it was lighthearted, but it had a deeper truth. And we thank you for engaging us in conversation, that you always are here when we turn to talk to you. We're sorry for the times when we walk away. And we thank you that you came to reconcile all of us. Help us, God, when it's uncomfortable. Help us to look at others and see your image and your desire to reconcile. Help us to give our lives, and to others back to you this week. We thank you for these words and for the reminders you give us daily. We lift you up. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.